0: This is Sphere, a podcast on the history and evolution of global environmental governance.
1: Hi, this is Eric Paglia from the research project Sphere, Study of the Planetary Human Environment Relationship. On this episode of the Sphere podcast, it's the second part of the Spaceship Earth interview with Sabina Hurler. In this part of the interview, Sabina elaborates on the planetary parallels between Spaceship Earth and Earth System Science and the latter's conceptual offspring, the idea of the Anthropocene. We'll also be hearing from Dr. Leia Aronofsky, a fellow at the Columbia Society of Fellows, who'll explain how ecological research associated with nuclear testing in the South Pacific played a key role in conceptualizing closed systems such as Spaceship Earth and the Biosphere 2 Project. First, here's Keith Foster who shares an interest with Sabina in 70s science fiction, which it turns out has quite a bit in common with the concept of spaceship Earth.
0: 70s science fiction, you say? Well, maybe the 80s was even better. But we'll come back to that a little bit later. But first, Dr. Aronofsky, whose 2018 Harvard dissertation, The Planet as a Self-Regulating System, Configuring the Biosphere as an Object of Knowledge, 1940-1990, was awarded the Rachel Carson Prize for Best Dissertation by the American Society for Environmental History. She told us about the scientists sent to monitor the effects of American nuclear tests in the Pacific.
2: In the 1950s, Howard and Eugene Odom, their two ecologists, American ecologists and also brothers, they took up this project on behalf of the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission to go conduct fieldwork in the aftermath of several nuclear tests in the Marshall Islands. The United States was running its nuclear test program in the Marshall Islands in the aftermath of World War II. They were two of many scientists who were invited to go and do sort of ecological or environmental research, biological research on the effects of the nuclear bomb. The region where they went, it had been exposed to multiple bombs by this point, including a multi-megaton thermonuclear bomb. But when they arrived, they sort of perceived the site as almost pristine or like not much different than how it had appeared before the blast. And so they sort of took that observation and interpreted it as evidence of um, the sort of profound stability of the environment. They theorized that the environment had developed these mechanisms for restoring itself in the face of a perturbation, even on the scale of a nuclear bomb. That was really an important moment for them in terms of how they thought about systems. And they scaled up their thinking to sort of apply that theory to the biosphere and, sort of, and argue that the biosphere is itself a very, very stable system. And they were later very influential in the design of a building called Biosphere 2, which launched in the 90s, but its origins lie in the 1970s, in this moment of really thinking about, you know, closed worlds, a future in which we have to live elsewhere, not on Earth. And so the Oden brothers proposed using this idea of this system Multi species system or this complex system, a la what they had observed in the Marshall Islands, they wanted to use this idea of a complex system that could be self sustaining as the basis for um, Biosphere 2. And in fact, this is exactly what the designers of Biosphere 2 did. They took the Odom's advice and constructed what they thought was a complex miniature biosphere. So there were like eight different biogeographic regions represented, like a desert, ocean, coral reef, etc. And they also put eight humans in there for a period of time and sort of let the system run.
0: That was Dr. Leah Aronofsky. As Eric mentioned earlier on, the research played a part in creating concepts like Spaceship Earth and Biosphere 2, the group of researchers who spent two years in a bubble environment in the Arizona desert. Today in the second part of that interview, I asked Sabina if terraforming, i.e. transforming other worlds, or even parts of our world, into environments habitable by humans, was a part of that concept.
3: Not in so many words. Uh, I didn't find that in my sources then. But the the conceptual, sort of the the thought that you just formulated, is of course there. Mm. Uh, Biosphere 2 is clearly a terraforming idea of miniaturizing our biosphere, which is sort of the the the, the planetary life-containing space, and uh, and reduce that to manageable level, and then re- recreate it elsewhere. And then to terraform Mars would then mean to also leave your bubble in a way, right? To to terraform a planet means to make it Earth-like mm. biosphere to was well had that in mind but was far from trying that in practice since the miniature earth that remains in a bubble isn't really it's not even terraforming the desert that it was set into no, <laughs> the no. desert is still Rested deadly outside. around it yes <laughs> and the same with mars so eventually uh one would of course have to create an atmosphere on mars um so we have other science fiction and Tries that. <laughs> if uh, so, I, I still uh, think of Biosphere Two as having uh, also a very large science uh, fiction component, Absolutely. of course, right? Yes. Uh, so it's sometimes really difficult to distinguish between what is science fact and what is science fiction, and they are permeable and and, and flow into each other in a way. And uh, so I've I've looked at a lot of science fiction uh, to uh, to research uh, the Spaceship Earth figure and uh, and that discourse. And um, I'm thinking now of Red Planet, which is a film from like 90s Mm -hmm. or something, Something early 90s, which shows a a small crew of scientists who who try to fix an atmosphere on on Mars that has uh, somehow collapsed. So there and those there were ideas um, about how to uh, use, for instance, algae or other sort of very simple plant Mm. elements um, to create an atmosphere, a breathable atmosphere for humans. Um, So Biosphere Two never tried that. In a way, it's really taking Earth's atmosphere to hostile places and, uh, well, taking you home with you in a way, which is also what the spaceship does. So terraforming, I think, somehow it's contained in, in that idea, but it's not really fully, fully practiced because then you would need to know more about what the mechanisms, the geoengineering mechanisms are really to, to create uh, habitable hmm. environments, from, from scratch almost, right? And that, as you said, could also happen on Earth in places that are extreme, like polar regions or the deserts. Or the ocean floor. Th- those were ideas that were very virulent at the same time as um, the spaceship Earth idea. The space age was uh, popular. Um, these uh, same ideas of making o- the ocean, uh, the seabed habitable came, well, I think came the, those,
0: those That period, uh, with the, this, certainly with this, the space age and this idea of reaching the moon, uh, was a very hopeful period for, for humankind. That, ah, we've achieved this. We've we've reached uh, our satellite. Now we're maybe m- more governed by fear than than hope, which, which changes our ambitions. Difficult
3: to say. Difficult to say, since uh, I only got a glimpse of this uh, of the past decades through. All the material that I read, and some of it, of course i 've lived through myself, old mm. as I am, <laughs> but i don't remember really well I read most of it and and so you always get a selective I mean you get a sure. very um, selective and o- also idiosyncratic view on on how people perceive their own time their 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 own lifetime and i I think that we still have a lot of optimism, and not everything is alarmist or Fear-driven that we do, right? I mean, we have climate change, global climate change, but so did people have a, n- a nuclear war in, 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 in during the Cold War times mm. as an imminent, I mean, really imminent threat. And and they still lived through it, often without even acknowledging that there were these things Sure. Also these dangers or threats um, so I, I I think that it's it's hard to say for each and every one but there are certain discourses that become prominent uh, in in particular decades and I, I I would say that since Al Gore's film perhaps of uh, when was that 22 of five or something like so early 2000s when uh, global climate change really came on the agenda that this changed public perception of well sustainability questions and uh, and larger what l- the larger stakes that, that we need to deal with that took a while right the sustainability research has been going on for I mean decades mm. if you like but uh, it always takes a while until a larger public also catches up with that right and understands what even the terms mean and uh, uh, let alone follow um, public dis- follow fo- follow the discussions uh, on uh, like the earth summits uh, so ve- a-, a lot of these discussions are of course very like elitist i would say because uh, it's a small elite cosmopolitan elite that discusses on these round tables at the round tables and then it takes a while until a local agenda is implemented locally and people start thinking uh, in in a certain way that okay now i need to monitor my carbon budget or something right that doesn't just happen like this uh it it that that takes a while but i wonder whether we are less or more optimistic or pessimistic or more fearful than the contemporaries were in the time of the first nuclear power plant disasters, for instance, that also made the news and really, I mean, got people worrying. Sure. Um, Some people
0: are still worried about that. Isn't
3: <laughs> <they>? Indeed. <laughs> yes. um, so there's also a lot of continuities, I think. As a science and technology studies scholar, I'm, I'm interested in these continuities, but also in the changes, like how do we perceive of environment, for instance. We don't look at it as a spaceship technological system, really, primarily. I think we're, we're looking at it still in a, in a systems perspective, but we don't think that we have some sort of cybernetic tool to manage it all easily. So uh, I, uh, I think that these changes are interesting to look at more closely, even though we still think of environment as a life support system and we still think of carrying capacity, like, okay, how, how much... How many organisms can a particular habitat support? So those questions are still very much alive and and, uh, being discussed. So some of the terminology from the spaceship time we still have with us, but we also have other tools and other questions and other problem conceptions. Uh, And Anthropocene is then a new term that also carries new meaning. So all these terms are, of course, performative. They have a certain power to to do something to the objects they describe, right? They they are not neutral. They mean to represent a certain situation, but they also create this situation in in the terminology itself or with uh, with the terms.
0: We uh, must round off soon, but um, I, I thought I'd just bring up this idea of uh, a safe operating space for humanity and whether whether humans have outgrown this this spaceship we're on
3: <laughs> this is interesting the um, I, as i said uh, uh, in the beginning i think that the spaceship idea is perhaps most alive still in the earth system sciences and the safe operating space comes from that same line of thought uh, scientific community and uh, it rings that spaceship earth bill it's a, a similar mode of thinking that uh, within a certain space that can be geographic but also abstract systemic it's a systemic space in a way humans can act rather flexibly without infringing on the basis of their existence or subsistence and then there's the thresholds for certain for certain fields like biodiversity or carbon emissions uh, that cannot must not be surpassed or a system shift will occur some Mm. system change that would throw us all into a world that is not like the one that we now live in and uh, and that of course resembles a little bit um, the idea of a, a, a spaceship life support system that that we're all in this together, in this boat, um, and here is clear boundaries that mark the the transition between uh, the safe space inside and a hostile environment outside. In a way, mm. even though, of course, the the operating space is thought more of in a systemic way, right? Uh, it's not about the geographical boundaries of the planet; it's about the system boundaries of our life support system—that yes. will these boundaries will give and uh, and collapse and uh, move to another s- this system state um, if humans continue to basically live
0: beyond their means beyond
3: their means indeed uh, and use up more than they can renew. Or that their environment can renew for them and, and, and provide. So I, I, I understand the, the metaphor or this, this image and concept. I'm not entirely happy with it, I must say. As said, I'm a science and technology studies scholar, so I always need to question <laughs> like these seemingly evident, self-understood. Concepts—they—they they need to be poked, uh, I, I think, because it—you it, can also wonder why that is—that uh, there is elasticity up to a certain boundary, and then there's a system state uh, that isn't necessarily—that in itself might be a problem to rely on, for instance, uh, an elastic nature that will somehow return to its original state if we just push it a bit, right? <laughs> like with the two-degree goal, right? Okay, sure. we're, we're safe if we just do a little bit of pollution. But with four degrees, it might be a huge problem. I, I, I wonder whether these kind of systemic transitions are actually a good description of how this will be experienced locally. By us here in Stockholm or by someone on, uh, in a coastal city in another, like a third world country, in, uh, in some U.S. coastal city. So it, it depends, I think, very much on local effects uh, and not so much on these very, very global abstract conceptions we create of course that is part of their their attractiveness it's part of their power also so to be so aggregated they are very handy right mm-hmm. safe operating space for humanity but then they are almost empty when you look at okay what's humanity what's the uh, what's safe uh, in this regard yes. safe means something else for everyone in different places and uh, the, the, the operational modes you could also question. So what does that actually mean to operate in a space like that? So it's also often void of meaning. And, and the spaceship Earth perhaps is similarly problematic in this regard. It's, very, it, it's a good metaphor to use if you want to address humanity as a whole. Um, it's an easily understood It's metaphor. absolutely easy, easily uh, communicable. But it, it lacks uh, the consideration for the very divergent and, and, and different uh, ways that humans and other species live on the Earth uh, in, in different places. Um, and, uh, and as said, it, it also it, it even invisibilizes it hides some of the the, the problems. And uh, the, the con- contested questions of, okay, who may live, who may die, who may operate and who may not, who will sink or drown and, and, and who will have money to buy a nice villa in the Alps or mm-hmm. something. So uh, I, that that isn't really captured in, in these large abstract terms. Um, and... Um, yeah, I have uh, I, I I have my issues with that. I I think this this needs to be explored much more, um, actually. Um, and now, of course, Earth system scientists would say that this isn't our task. <laughs> it's others that need to come in, and qualify. Well, what does that actually mean sure. um, to operate safely in a in a particular systemic space? And uh, I think this is also where my own disciplines the the humanities need to come in and say this is something we need to we need to discuss we challenge you on this right Uh, this 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 can be helpful but it's it's also quite empty it's a for its formulations really putting things into large formulas that are well communicable but but they don't even help us it's Uh, a
0: philosophical debate in many ways
3: yeah perhaps well of course um in 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 many ways but it's also one of of justice, I think it's a, a social, it's cultural, um, it's a historical question in many ways. I think it's very useful to know where some of these thoughts and uh, modes of thinking come from mm. uh, and their predecessors. But it's primarily also, I think, a question of social justice, of environmental justice, and uh, and the yeah, the operating space, the safe operating space isn't really. It wasn't created to ask these questions, really.
0: One thing that, that, that struck me when I was, um, I was listening to one of your lectures, um, uh, you talk about uh, Buckminster Fuller, mm-hmm. who wrote an um, operating manual for Spaceship Earth. Do you think instead of writing a manual today, he'd, he'd produced lots of YouTube videos on how to, how to operate
3: it? <laughs> Uh, Buckminster Fuller is, of course, one of these uh, major architects of uh, Spaceship Earth in the 60s, yeah. right? Uh, so one must uh, mention him. I'm glad that you do it now because we haven't so far. Uh, in 1969, he uh, wrote this operating manual for Spaceship Earth and then saying we're all astronauts. Mm. This is what I meant. Like, these terms are performative. If you think of... Sp- of the earth as a spaceship then we all become astronauts and that means something to be an astronaut it's not like being a a radio (laughs) someone making radio right it's a different responsibility and a different functional position to be an astronaut so uh, to to learn how to operate that spaceship and its life-supporting systems that's uh, that was the task that he gave us but he said he wasn't he was a designer, architect, um, engineer, and uh, uh, in a way that also needs to be read. This this book booklet needs to be read in this way because he was. I mean, he was all over the place and also toying with a lot of very interesting concepts and uh, architectural, in a way, realizations or manifestations of ecological thought and how one could sort of propel certain ideas. By new terms, also new new creations, new buildings. He had these games, right? He had the world games. Those were like strategic, like planning games where one would sit in groups and think about a a livable, a desirable future uh, like so many years in advance and what would be needed. So in a way, it was very creative. He was a very creative designer uh, and uh, the new media that, we now have at our disposal i mean they (laughs) he didn't have that in in his time and still he was so creative i wonder uh, i guess he would be on the social media and youtube all the time nowadays to launch and propel uh, his thoughts
0: (laughs) what's your next step then what's the next step of 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 your project here at uh, kth
3: well right now uh, there's a group of us at KTH working on um, global environmental governance. You uh, brought that up, trying to think through the mechanisms, the tools on many levels, uh, not top-down, but often rather bottom-up, mm-hmm. uh, mechanisms of global environmental, like governing the environment, and also thinking of the environment as an object that only emerges in these processes of global environmental governance. So what is it that actually is being governed? And how does it come about? How does it appear to us? And one way that it appears to us is through, is through data. It's through measurements that we do. I mean, and that's, of course, also many decades, even now like two, three centuries of data gathering about, for instance, the atmosphere or the mm. oceans, the shape that global environment takes in these processes of um, of the field sciences gathering environmental data that then can provide, for instance, indicator standards, indicator systems that create thresholds, for instance, that the planetary boundaries, uh, the, the, the concept can work with. Right. That's a research question uh, that we're now following um, with um, a team uh, at KTH. Um, So, we have one project on global environmental governance, one on what we call the mediated planet. Uh, It's the planet, the environment of planet Earth coming to us, not in immediate ways, but mediated through these data generating processes. And the third one is the continuation of the terraforming of uh, terraforming projects and the history of, of those, with the idea of planetary like colonization, or really making planets habitable, uh, and what that means for life and life on Earth, and our understanding of what life is and what survival means. Right? That's, uh, that's another. A third project I'm currently interested in mm. so they all work well together I think <laughs> the spaceship is somehow still hovering <laughs> <laughs> so I also try to move to new things um, but it's it's good to have it in my baggage in right. a way right? Right.
0: final question and then you, you you mentioned lots of movies and films you...
3: <laughs> yeah they are great to watch
0: what's what, what are your fa- favorite three science fiction movies?
3: I'm not even a big fan of science fiction, yeah. so I need to uh, then pick among those that actually are close to the the, the topic of eco yep. I mentioned. So e- e- ecological enough. decline. My favorite is perhaps Soil and Green. Oh, you know that yes, one, yes, yes, 1973 Charlton Heston. with Charlton Heston. He shows up in a lot of these kind of like. Uh, more ecological science science fiction. There wasn't Cliffy then. There was uh, so sort of about eco science fiction, mm. um, and that's one where he's uh, in. This is connected, I think, to the Spaceship Earth idea because it's it's actually the the filmic uh, realization of this idea of a, a closed metabolism.
0: Right, and we, we're then, eating dead people because,
3: because they become surplus in yes. an overpopulated world. We shouldn't give everything away. <laughs>
0: Spoiler. <laughs>
3: Spoiler. So yeah I mean, that's where what what an idea can also become. Uh, an idea that is meant well, right? We need to create spaceman ecologies where we're all astronauts and we cannot waste we need to recycle. There must be a complete material recycling process. There is no energy input but from the sun. This is the spaceship idea in a way and uh, in in this overpopulated world of the 60s and 70s then yeah what does that mean in practice Uh, in that film it means as you say it it means that uh, life becomes surplus and too much and so one eats up the the surplus to to create a sustainable system Mm which is of course very cynic and it was meant as a commentary also on the environmental on environmentalism on the environmental era of the the 60s and early 70s. This is what the director also um, admitted to in an interview. Mm. So he wanted to comment on um, what he himself as a contemporary witnessed in the US uh, of the time. And I I think it's a a very interesting uh, motive that that comes up of, like, closed, self-contained, self-sustained S- system. Mm. That's also my favorite because it has survived, right? There's also bad science fiction. It can still be very good for the purpose of looking at ecocidal, like, motives sure. in uh, in science fiction that are somehow related to Spaceship Earth. So the second one would be... Um, silent running you know that one
0: yes yes that made me cry when i watched that when i was a little boy
3: (laughs) that's 1972 Uh, so they're all in the same from the same decade and uh, this is uh, the the very strange story of uh, preserving these last forests on earth in uh, on a spaceship sure and so the the entire plot uh, revolves around like safeguarding and somehow rescuing these these forests, uh, while the Earth is already completely deteriorated and uh, and there is nothing left of, of the old life as we know it, mm. and it's of course not at all strange in a space age to have a spaceship, be well as the vessel of of salvation in a way, right for life as we know it and nature and environment sort of, as of a we lifeboat. It's a bit of an arc, lifeboat, spaceship, Earth envisioning here. Um, It's also interesting in other ways because it does pose the question of what to preserve. Is it reasonable and meaningful to preserve life as we know it at all cost? Because the the protagonist doesn't get to, right? They destroy. Spoiler, they destroy it all in the end. And... And interesting here also, Cynic, is that the others don't care, Mm. right? So what do we care about? He's the only one who cares. There's Mm. this one Jesus figure, right? This this free man person who is the... He's looking after the forests. He's tending Tending to these plants and uh, sees a value in sowing and harvesting his own food and also preparing it while they eat something else. They eat some synthetic Mm. something, the other astronauts on board. And so it is a bit of a a question of how to argue for nature as we know it. Is there an argument? I mean, that's really a larger philosophical question. I think (laughs) that's really difficult to answer. How can we argue for preserving what we have out there still, right? That, That is some air that we can breathe and food we can eat and an apple and a a flower that we can see and grass that we can lie on perhaps it's not that important mm. in to a future generation of humans they might enjoy other things that are entirely like technos- technological so there's that conflict um, the movie also um, plays out and I think that's very interesting One more then One more would be Logan's run now we're really getting into 70s um, Sure 70s that's when they um, made movies uh, back in the day trashy that's interesting because it has another facet of um, the spaceship earth selective mechanism namely one for one Mm. and i also uh, picked that up in in my work that's a highly controlled society and they live in that bubble that is like a biosphere biosphere two, a bit bigger it's like a city under glass 1976, I think the movie, or 19 something like that. It's very 70s because it's like full of gadgets. They have everything. It's 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 the enjoyable life. But the downside is that the population is so highly controlled. So at the age of 30, they all need to need to die, mm. so that a new generation can grow up. One is born, one needs to go. Right. So this is then like zero population growth, right? Like uh, the human ecologists of the 1960s and 70s had envisioned it as the the one and only solution to overpopulation. You need to just replenish the stock. Mm. And this movie then puts that into filmic practice and shows, okay, this is what a society would look like. And perhaps it's not so bad because people don't complain, right? They don't. But, but they're not aware of how the mechanism works. And they have everything until they turn 30 and, and, uh, and need to go. So, again, it's it's an exploration, a filmic exploration of, of what a, a spaceship system would look like uh, in, in a fully controlled, like a population-controlled world. It's always about raising awareness in all of these films, in a way. With Charlton Heston, he somehow he picks up in soil and green he understands okay this is how this is how the system works mm. so often it's about someone reminding him like an old man the mm. figure of the old man we have that in the soil and green but also in in the last in the last one in in logan's one there's also an old man who somehow remembers how, how things were yeah. and and enlighten those that were somehow imprisoned in these high-tech systems yes. they spent their entire life in. So as bad as these movies somehow come across nowadays when you watch them now and feel like, oh, what's this, right? This is like totally out of time. As interesting they are, when you look at them from a from a like that kind of research, historically interested perspective of okay, wh- how did they think in the 70s about? their spaceship life. What does, what would that mean if we practice this, if we put that into practice, some of these scientific ideas and exp- like experiment a little bit and show a, a future that isn't so long ago. Sometimes it was only 50 years into the future, mm. something like 2020, where we are now, right? 1970, 2020. And then they envisioned these uh, stabilized w- spaceship worlds and they weren't at all great. I can relate because I, I would also think more pessimistically about such a spaceship systems. They might work in some way, but they all always come with, with downsides. There's and, always and, a flaw somewhere. And often it's th- that there's these control mechanisms in place. There doesn't even have to be one particular captain who decides. But it's, it's a control that is sort of inbuilt, and self-regulating and keeps a system in in, uh, in, in some sort of homeostatic like equilibrium, mm. and that can be devastating. Right, <laughs> that's not something that we should always strive for. I think. No. So that was my take-home message when I saw these these films. Yeah, there's many more that one could name that like play with the same the same conceptions, the same visions, or ideas of uh, like the, the well, that's what good, good science fiction does that isn't it absolutely and uh, and that's also so interesting to to look at and some topics invite more than others to look at such films and spaceship and space flight spaceship earth of course very much invited me to look at uh, such films and it was um, a pleasure even though sometimes also it makes you shudder I mean, I mean honestly you could also ask about the three worst yeah i I've
0: thought about that but the, <laughs> maybe not because <laughs> that'd be too much fun <laughs> sabina thank you so much for talking to us uh, on the podcast and good luck with all the those three projects that uh, you're in charge of you know, with um, all the work that you do all the different uh, titles and responsibilities you have <laughs> keep that sort of the captain's cap on and, and control it's all the It's also words.
3: fun.
0: <laughs> I'm sure.
1: Yeah, thanks for being with us.
3: Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: That was Associate Professor Sabina Ho, author of Spaceship Earth in the Environmental Age, 1960 to 1990, published in the Routledge History and Philosophy of Technoscience series.
0: Music by Mark Van Bosch. Sphere supported by the European Research Council under the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme.